in the movies, they make it out like as long as you get to the embassy, as long as you crawl across the gate in the stairs of their building, you're safe. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. And that, to me, was the biggest shock of all. This is Convicted Across Borders, a podcast co-produced by Focus Features and L.A. Times Studios brand team and funded by Focus Features in support of the film Stillwater. I'm your host, Marsha Clark. I've spent decades as a prosecutor and a defense attorney in the United States, but each year, more than 3,000 Americans are imprisoned outside the United States. Many are wrongfully convicted, and many are told they will never return home. Imagine what you would do in that horrific situation. Who could you count on to come to your rescue? In this five-part series, we're hearing real-life, first-hand accounts of American citizens whose international journeys turned into epic nightmares. Wherever Nicole Koffel goes, her smile and positive spirit are sure to follow. So when her husband's work brought the family to Abu Dhabi, Nicole was quick to go from Midwestern fish out of water to a welcome and friendly addition. She even found work herself, bringing her skills as a horse trainer to an available position at a horse stable. Nicole was quickly promoted from office manager to COO. But then things changed. Her boss went three months without paying Nicole. When Nicole messaged her boss in an effort to reason with her about not paying, Nicole referred to her boss's actions as haram, an Arabic word meaning forbidden. But her boss complained to police that Nicole had instead written another highly offensive word. Nicole was arrested and charged for breaking the United Arab Emirates cybercrime laws, which considers insulting others through electronic means a serious crime. She faced five years in prison. Here is Nicole's story. My name is Nicole Koffel. I'm 47 years old. I'm a married mother of three, living in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm a horse trainer and hairstylist by trade, and I'm a virtual customer service agent working from home, which is quite amazing because the hardest commute in the morning is just getting past the dogs. Nicole had traveled out of the country on vacation before to places in Latin America and the UK, but never for work or when her husband was deployed. Now a retired Air Force Master Sergeant, Nicole's husband works for the military as a contract employee. In 2015, Nicole's husband was offered an opportunity to work in the United Arab Emirates and to bring the whole family, which couldn't have come at a better time. We had suffered a total loss from a house fire just 10 months maybe prior to us leaving overseas. Because of that, several of his retired military folks had reached out to him and said, we have this amazing opportunity. You could come over here with your family, work and have a nice lifestyle better than what you'd have there. And You've already lost everything, so traveling will be so much easier. So that's what took us across the pond. Nicole and her sons arrived in Abu Dhabi in June 2016. Nicole didn't know what to expect. Getting off the plane, she was shocked to find the heat wasn't much worse than the heat in Missouri. 
and when Nicole and her family arrived at their new home, they were overwhelmed by the extravagance. We were all pretty excited about the initial landing and new lifestyle. We lived in a really nice villa in a gated community. There was a pool and a gym, and we had our own little shopping stores, and we had security guards, and our villa on the interior was beautiful marble, and we had our own private garden area, and it was quite something compared to what we had come from. Each of the children had en suites in their bedrooms, and that was also a first for all of us to have our own separate bathrooms. So it was quite an amazing change. While Nicole was pleased with the welcoming she received, she was distraught to see how animals were treated. I realized very quickly that the animal situation was atrocious. The Emirati have a culture, and even the experts too, unfortunately, have this culture of discarding animals. So right away, I started working with the local animal rescues and actually helped to found Musafa Dog Project, which is a dog rescue and TNR organization that we have there now to help to spay and neuter the street dogs in the Musafa labor camp area. From her rescue work, Nicole made friends that recommended she look into an available position at a horse stable. Since she was a child, Nicole had a passion for horses and had already pursued her desire to work with horses as a trainer. So I went and interviewed for the position and sure enough was hired on the spot, which happened to be January 1st. I got hired in to just be a secretary part-time. And within three days, I was executive assistant. Within about a week of that, I had been moved up to COO because it was quite clear to the employer and everyone else in the company that I was very experienced with horses. I knew exactly what I was talking about. And I was going to be able to run this business better than it had been run. The business, an equestrian club and stable, was owned and operated by a member of one of the many wealthy royal families in the UAE. She's a very pretty woman, in my opinion. Very easy to talk to, easy to get to know. She has this way about her of bringing everyone into her situation. But from day one, Nicole suspected something was off about the whole situation. When I was offered the job the very first day, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and I ignored it because I was awestruck by the idea of having my dream job in this country working with horses. And I thought, okay, I'm just gonna ignore it for now. Nicole's initial concerns were put to rest after spending more time with the charming guests she hosted. And what made the experience even more special for Nicole was getting to share it with her sons. The amazing thing, which was also the most shocking, was that when we were in situations like this, my employer was the most fun to be with. She was the most entertaining, the most welcoming. She was constantly introducing me to people that she knew. She was so proud to have me and the twins there. 
Uh, my sons were working for her as social media and photographers. It would be rooms and rooms full of tables and tables full of food. It was so thrilling to be able to share those moments with my sons, but also to be experiencing these moments in such a royal event, knowing that I was sitting feet away from the people that are running this country was impressive, to say the least. I met with dignitaries, sheikhs and sheikhs in the UAE. We did an event at the cricket stadium. We did an event at another polo facility. And it was quite something to be in the presence of sheikhs and sheikhs and be sitting in the VIP sections with these incredible royal families and be welcomed just as one of them. Although adapting to her new surroundings was sometimes a challenge, Nicole always rose to the occasion. In those situations, it was quite overwhelming because we weren't given any prior instructions on how to behave or how to act in that country around dignitaries and royalty. It was very much a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants type of experience. And so I always had to hold myself in a very dignified and cautious manner. I did not speak to the men unless they spoke to me. I did not make eye contact with the men unless they were directly engaging with me. It was quite something because being a Midwesterner, we're the type to smile and, and give a handshake or a hug to the stranger on the street. We've also been known as Chatty Cathy's. So trying to be in a situation where you are on guard and you are having to constantly be kind of the center of their attention as well was a bit nerve-wracking, but it was fun at the same time. As Nicole continued to impress at her job, she was given new responsibilities, one of which was being put in charge of finances. But that's when Nicole noticed something odd. She only had one paying customer that was boarding a horse at her facility. All the other stabling stalls were filled with her own personal horses. Her father was covering the bills each month. Nicole didn't worry too much about it. She noticed missing payments for some of the other employees, but each time her boss would have an excuse as to why. And then she stopped paying Nicole. She started making excuses. Oh, I've got breast cancer. I can't pay you this month. I've got to have a treatment. I would feel sorry for her. And so she played on my heartstrings with stories like that, telling me, well, I'll be sure and pay you this next month, but this month I'm just a little bit short. And I loved what I was doing so much. I thought, okay, I'm running the books. I can manage this. And then one month turned to two months, two months turned to three months. And by the third month, I said, that's it. I've had it. That was made especially clear to Nicole following an injury she suffered on the job. Her boss had acquired a mistreated and very difficult four-year-old stallion. Nicole thought with some time and training, she could fix the horse. Nicole was making progress until, on her birthday of all days, the horse snapped. Within a split second, he just turned his head 
grabbed me up by the shoulder and picked me clean up off the ground. And mind you, I was still twice my normal weight at that time. And he picked me clean up off the ground and dropped me about 10 feet over. The only reason that he didn't actually bite through my flesh was because it was January. And over there, it's quite chilly that time of year. So I had a a nice thick hoodie on and I had a couple of shirts on to stay warm. And it was because of that extra padding that he wasn't actually able to bite through my flesh. Nicole had finally had enough after repeatedly asking for her unpaid wages. It had been three full months at that point that she had not paid my salary. And we had exchanged several messages about when was she going to pay my wages? You know, you promised to pay me and you haven't paid me yet. You're being a liar. You're a thief. You're breaking the laws of Allah. You're being haram, which is a word that she had taught me that meant against Allah or against the laws of their country. Nicole and her sons were planning to go back to the United States just after celebrating their 18th birthday. Then, in June 2019, all of that changed. While fighting an unfair system, Nicole never let go of her innocence. We spoke with Stillwater director Tom McCarthy about how innocence plays an important role in the film. What I like about this movie, because ultimately there is a sort of penal code quality to this movie because we're dealing with the prison system and incarceration. What I like about it is that really when we start to zoom out a little bit and it's Allison who starts to examine what that means to be innocent, truly, knowing what she does about her predicament and her case. And she starts to turn it on its head a little bit. When you think you've been wronged by a system, it's really difficult to navigate emotionally, spiritually, and it can be really unhealthy if not managed correctly. So it takes a real, I think, clarity of spirit and of mind to be able to rise above that on some level. And what's fascinating to me is when Allison gets there in the picture and what that means to the story and what that means to Bill's condition at that moment. See the Focus Features film, Stillwater, directed by Tom McCarthy and starring Matt Damon. Stillwater is now playing only in theaters. Now, back to Nicole's story. I got a phone call from the police. They wanted to talk to me, and of course, they didn't tell me anything else. Well, in that country, if the police call and say you have to go, you have to go. Nicole called her husband and told him she was going to the police station. Terrified and not wanting the others to be alone, Nicole and her sons went to the police station together. When they arrived, Nicole was immediately separated from her family and detained in a holding cell. They were interrogating me in such a way that I didn't understand what they were saying. I kept asking for an interpreter. And it was all the way that they incite fear in people by doing this since I was the big almighty American in their country. They wanted to make sure that I felt like the scum of the earth. I was there at the police station, I want to say at least three or four hours before I even realized or knew that I was going to be charged with anything. They just kept reiterating these questions that said, well, did you call her this? Did you call her that? 
And I said, no, I've never used profanity against her. I kept telling them, I've never cursed at her. I've never used profanity. I thought that's all it was. I thought I was just going to have to keep telling them the truth. Little did I realize until about eight hours into things that I wasn't leaving. After hours of being detained, Nicole was told she was being arrested. They said, well, you're under arrest. And I said, what do you mean I'm under arrest? I haven't done anything wrong. And they said, yeah, you're being charged with cyber crimes for using profanity and curse words against a dignitary and his daughter. She filed charges against me saying that I had cursed her out and that I had called her a bastard. And I had never, not once, used profanity in any of the messages or exchanges that I had had with her. I was scared to death, but I had this misconception of justice. I really did think that the truth would prevail. And I really did think that even in that country, because I had everything documented so well, I really thought, I just need my day in court. I just need the embassy to see my proof. At this point, Nicole's husband arrived at the police station, but neither he nor Nicole's sons were allowed to communicate with Nicole. They wouldn't let them come anywhere near where I was, and they finally went out and told him that the only way I could leave was to turn over my passport, that if I wanted to not be put in handcuffs and taken to jail indefinitely, then I had to turn my passport over. And so he had to go back to the house and leave the boys and I there, which was really frightening for him because he thought, man, you know, if I leave my family unattended, then what are they going to do? They're already charging my wife for things that she didn't do. When Nicole's husband returned to the police station with her passport, they confiscated it and continued to hold Nicole for hours without any answers. They withheld even the simplest things like water or food through an entire 10, 12 hours I was there. I was not allowed to eat or drink anything. And I had only a few months earlier had a gastric sleeve surgery. And so I had to have food regularly or physically I was going to lose my strength and pass out. I was held at the police station and made to feel scared for my life because they were sitting in the room, five or six of them talking Arabic and laugh and joke. I didn't have any idea what they were talking about. I felt very put off. I felt very discarded. I felt very abandoned in those moments. When she was finally released from the police station after hours of interrogation, the family went back to the house. All of us just had a near breakdown. It was this overload of emotion of fear and concern and just shock and awe at the fact that I had been laughed at by the embassy. Her hopes of the American embassy helping to save the day like in the movies never came. And it wasn't until days after that when I had gone repeatedly back and forth to the embassy that they finally started really making it clear to me there really is nothing they can do. And one American life isn't worth 
the millions and billions of oil money that they get from countries like UAE and countries in the Middle East. Oil is, is life, and they're not going to risk good relations with a country like that for the innocence of one person. So Nicole couldn't count on the embassy, but she held on to her faith. You can cry or you can pray. And sometimes when you pray, you cry. But the only thing I had was my faith. When I found out that the embassy couldn't do anything for me, the only thing I could do was keep my eyes on God and just know that some way, somehow, this is going to be okay. This too shall pass. I really feel like it made me stronger. And soon, she had the help of someone who would be her saving grace. In the process of me fighting for my freedom, a good friend of mine in the UK reached out to Radha Sterling with Detained in Dubai. And Miss Radha talked to me and took on my case. And God bless this woman. Nicole had approached us when she'd already been through most of the legal process, actually, and she'd come to a dead end. That's Radha Sterling. She's the founder and CEO of the British-based organization Detained in Dubai. Sterling took up Nicole's case as a longtime human rights advocate and expert in legal issues in the Middle East. The case proceeded to the point where we had to take it to the next level, which was bringing it to the international spotlight, to the media, and then using that media to leverage with the Congress people and the U.S. State Department to get involved in that case and influence her release. As Rada explains, if you're listening to this podcast, you've likely broken the UAE's cybercrime laws before ever stepping foot in the country. And if you were there, that alone would be enough to get you arrested. The cybercrime laws in the UAE make it such that you can be convicted and sentenced for sharing a charity post, a Facebook post, a tweet, or even a news story, or talking negatively about the government or the judicial system. And these posts or public statements or even private WhatsApp messages could have been sent from outside of the UAE five years ago, and that person can still be charged with those posts. These extraterritorial, application of the cybercrime laws puts everyone at risk. Most people who live in the UAE are completely oblivious to what can go wrong there and the fact that they can be charged with a private WhatsApp message, that they can be charged for uh, a negative comment about a rental car agency. We've seen people charged for giving negative reviews on hotel websites. These kind of things are absurd and absolutely taken for granted because no foreign national is ever going to believe that a modern city like Dubai is going to convict people for giving a negative review of a hotel. In September 2019, facing the possibility of five years in prison, Nicole received her sentencing. I didn't actually go in person to the judgment on the day of court because I was too afraid that if the judgment came against me that they would instantly take me off to jail. So it was recommended that I stay home. So my husband went to the court and attended. Finally, when the charges came down, I was charged with three years probation 
with that sentence suspended and one month of jail time also on a suspended imposition of sentence that I would not face any jail time as long as in that three-year period no more charges were brought against me. So the day before this judgment came down, she took me back to the police station and charged me again with additional cyber crimes, saying that I had slandered her name in the public social media situation, and she was trying to charge me for the different news reports and articles that had been published. With her sentencing from the first charges over, Nicole was finally given her passport back. Now she had a way out of the country, but only if she could make it out in time before a second set of charges took effect. It was the most terrifying, best experience of my life. It's something to be completely scared to death and feel like you're running for your life, literally. She has, to this day, pictures of her with AK-47s and different machine guns where she's flaunting the fact that she is a sniper or was a sniper, she claims. I wasn't going to take any chances. I had already experienced the fact that she could charge someone who was innocent with crimes they didn't commit, and they could be convicted of crimes they didn't commit. So I was desperate to get out of the country because I knew if those second set of charges were processed before I left, I was instantly going to be in jail. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. A friend had secured standby tickets for Nicole and her sons to get out of the country. When I was in the terminal waiting to catch my flight, the lawyer that had helped me actually had texted me and he said, where are you? And I replied back very scared, I'm in UAE. And I didn't respond to anything else. I didn't text anything else. I didn't text my family. I mean, I shut my phone off and took the battery out and I waited. And I counted down the time until I knew that I was over halfway from UAE to the United States before I turned my phone back on. Because if for any reason she did find out that I'd left the country, I didn't want there to be a chance in Hades that she would be able to turn that flight around and send me back to UAE. So I knew if we went past the halfway point fuel-wise, it would have to go ahead and make the full trip because we would be over the ocean and it would be too unsafe for them to turn the plane around at that point. And so when I landed at the airport, it was just the most exhilarating feeling of freedom. After two years of living in Abu Dhabi and the hellish last four months, Nicole was finally back in the United States. She arrived on such short notice that she ended up spending the night in a terrifying hotel. But Nicole was so happy to be home, it didn't even bother her. It was a scene right out of the movies. I had uh, 
all kinds of things on the walls in the, in the bathroom and in the main area of the hotel room. There was blood in the bathroom splattered on the wall by the toilet. I mean, there was toilet paper wads on the wall behind the television, and I did not care. <laughs> I did not care how nasty it was. I did not care somebody might have been murdered in that room at some point, you know. I was happy to be home, and I was trying to find internet. I was trying to find an ATM, and I was walking down the streets just smiling my heart out, so happy to see green grass and trees and everything else. Even a UPS truck driver spun around the block and came back up to stop me and asked me if he could take me to dinner because he said, you're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. He said, I've never seen somebody so happy and full of life as you. I said, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea what I've just gone through. I'm home and I'm free. Nicole's husband still works in the UAE. He was scheduled to leave in March 2020, but then the pandemic hit. He couldn't go home. His new contract doesn't end until January 2022. Never again will I go back to UAE or Abu Dhabi or Dubai or any of that because... It's not worth the risk. It is absolutely not worth it. There are still people detained in Dubai and other countries that are innocent and they need help. And without a voice to the injustices in the world, everybody's just gonna keep getting their coffee at Starbucks. Nobody's gonna even think about it. Sometimes you have to go through the hard stuff to appreciate the good things. You know, if my story helps one other person realize that you really can't trust the things that we think are true because of Hollywood, do your due diligence. You know, look into the rules and regulations of countries you travel to. Look into extradition issues. Find out these things because the simplest of things can turn into a snowball of nightmares in just a second. Next time on Convicted Across Borders. While visiting his parents in their home country of Turkey, a physicist is falsely imprisoned for possession of a single American $1 bill. They're saying I'm a terrorist, that I'm about to get a life in prison sentence. The evidence was a $1 bill. You know, nothing made sense. Convicted Across Borders was created on behalf of Focus Features by L.A. Times Studios and Treefort and does not reflect the views of the Los Angeles Times, nor does it involve the editorial or reporting staffs of the Los Angeles Times. Executive producers are Kelly Garner and Lisa Ammerman. Line producer is Oscar Guido. Written and produced by Matthew Kugler. Casting producer, Julie Burke. Tom Monahan is our senior audio engineer and sound supervisor with production and editing by Jasper Leake. With additional production help from Tim Schauer, Haley Mandelberg, and Justin Washington. I'm Marcia Clark. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe, rate us, and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to raise awareness and get the word out so more people can hear these powerful and real stories. And be sure to watch Focus Features new film, Stillwater, directed by Tom McCarthy and starring Matt Damon. Stillwater is now playing only in theaters.